Indeed, O oh God, it's good to be with your people and remember that, that Christ has left his home in glory so that he could live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. All in our place. All done for us. A life lived, a death died. All for us. For people who didn't deserve anything from his gracious hand and yet have received the promise of everlasting life and have now been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that has changed us and continues to change us little by little, bringing us more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we become like him, O God, the more we sense that life simply works. It is a life that contains difficulty. It's a life that contains pain. It's a life that produces sin. And yet, the more we live like Jesus, the more we discover that this is the way that we were intended to live. And we bless you, O God, for finding a way to save people like me. And that way was through the person and work of Jesus Christ, whose birth we remember yearly. It gets cluttered with all with so many other things, and yet at the base of our souls we remember that we are who we are because of what commenced in that that cradle in a in a cow stall. And I pray, O oh God, that our worship would be pleasing to you this morning and that you would get glory for yourself as a result of our being together. Father, for the, um, for the brokenhearted in this room, for the lonely, for the people who um, find that holidays simply remind them of certain issues that are not all that pleasant, I pray that your, your spirit will minister peace and grace to them. And that as they are here amongst your people, that they will find a, a reason to go on hoping, to go on serving, to go on believing that the life that we have in Christ Jesus is life as it was intended. Now, Father, thank you for the privilege, the privilege that is ours to give. We've got plenty. Many of us have too much. And it's the too much that is choking our souls. So now we get to get rid of some of it so that we can free our souls to go live as they were intended. Lord, thank you for the privilege to give and so use every dime of it for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Hebrews. Way in the back, towards the back of the New Testament. Chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read you the first ten verses. I really would love to read you the whole chapter, but it's 40 verses. And I think you know much of what's in chapter 11. So I'm just going to kind of refresh your memory by reading the first ten verses of Hebrews 11. You follow in your copies as I read. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer, builder, is God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This morning, my sermon is the last installment of a series that we started way back in September. The, uh, the series was entitled, My King and My God. I love that because my God is my king and my king is my God. I mean, if you, if God is your God, then you have God as a king. Um, and having him as a king summons us to a life of obedience. We did a whole lot of talking about, um, kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And we tried to contrast and compare the, those two kingdoms. And I, and I called you to live life outside the shire. A reference to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, this morning, we're going to wrap that up, and I know you're glad. And um, perhaps you uh, wonder if it's very Christmassy. I'm not sure it is, but it is the last that you'll hear of, of the Shire for a while. Have you ever read, um, Hebrews 11? I bet you have. I, I, I bet that many of you have even been in Bible studies where um, Hebrews 11 was the focus of your Bible study. It's one of those famous chapters of Scripture. It's right up there with uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter. Well, Hebrews 11 is another one of those famous chapters. Um, it's, it's, called, it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith or... Faith's Hall of Fame or, or something like that. And what you get in Hebrews 11 is a list uh, and, and just the briefest discussion uh, about them, of a list of the real giants of the faith, the stalwarts, the, the, the heroes of the Christian faith. Um, all the big names are included in here, uh, Abraham and Noah and... Uh, Daniel and Gideon and all the names that are familiar that we learned in, in Sunday school classes. But, you know, for me, some of the um, the no-names, people who are mentioned but not given names, are more impressive than the, than the people with names. Uh, I want you to see, let me, I want to read you another couple of three verses. Starting at verse 35, th- these are just some of the no-names. Um, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. By the way, that word better is a word that's repeated in Hebrews 11 numerous times. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Think of what those words mean. Did not receive what was promised. These people lived these lives with all this difficulty being mentioned in here. And they never, they never 
got the fulfillment of those promises. But they went on to live the rest of their lives trusting that those promises were true. Boy, that's impressive, isn't it? I'm sure I'm not the only one impressed. That's that's something. They, They lived like this, but yet did not receive what was promised. Went to their graves without having received what they thought was the fruition and fulfillment of their promises. and That only came later. There's stories. There's, there's, gosh, I guess there's 30 people, names mentioned in here, maybe 25 or so. And their stories are different. But one, of the thing that all, one thing that all these people had in common is that they all lived life outside the Shire. Like uh, Frodo and Samwise Gamgee of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They, um, their, their lives took them on this wild ride. A life that was full of adventure and full of difficulty, full of deliverance, and full of faith. Which, as you know, I'm sure, is really the bottom line. Faith. What you believe is is the determining factor in, in eternity, folks, the, the, the kinds of things on which your life is built and founded, convictions that you have based on promises and truth that you believe, it's the bottom line. You know, you know um, I have talked much in this series about the existence of two kingdoms, the kingdom of, the kingdom of man and, and, the, and the kingdom of God, and... and um, The kingdom of God is found in the kingdom of man, but it's not a part of the kingdom of man. And we we Christians, we hold a dual citizenship. We live in this kingdom, but we belong to this other one. And and the thing that took us out of the one kingdom and, and transported us into another kingdom was faith. It was what we believed about Jesus Christ, what we thought was true about him. And as a result of our embracing and closing with a certain set of truth about him, we left a, a citizenship in the kingdom of man and we, we became citizens of a different kingdom. I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, both kingdoms require faith. We left the kingdom of man on the basis of the exercise of faith. And that's what Hebrews 11 is about. It's about people of faith. It's about the stalwarts, the giants, the heroes. People who lived life, all of it, in the midst of difficulty and trial and loss and death and suffering. <clears throat> it, was, it was that what they believed got them through it. Consequently, it shouldn't surprise any of us that the chapter opens with a definition of faith. Okay, Jimmy, if, if faith is the determining factor of not only where I spend my life later, but how I spend my life now, then what is faith? And that's how the chapter opens. Before it tells you about all these wonderful heroes, it gives you a definition of what it is that made them different. What it is that, that prompted them to leave that one kingdom and, and join up with this other one. It simply says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. There's the definition, folks. The, the, um, the life of heroic faith begins like that. It begins with people who are convicted 
about, who have a conviction of things that they have not seen. A walk of faith begins with the simple exercise of faith. And faith, according to verse 1, is a confidence, it's a confidence in things that are invisible. Things not seen. It's being certain of, of some things that we do not see. We, you and I are convinced that this is not all there is. There's something else. And so in, in light of that unseen reality, we change our lives in light of the reality that we believe exists. We base our lives and where they go based on some things that we haven't seen. Now, I might point out that a good Muslim will go that far. A good Muslim believes in things that haven't seen. But what Christianity does is gives us definition of the unseen. What unseen are we talking about? Well, the unseen is given to us in terms of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this walk of faith begins as you and I come to believe, not just in some vague generalities about the invisible, but some specifics. About that invisible. We, uh, we hold on to things that we've never touched. We, um, we pledge loyalty to a king that we've never seen. And yet in one sense we have seen him. Does the name Fanny Crosby ring a bell with you? Fanny Crosby? Fanny Crosby, in those hymnals that you've got there, um, and in really every hymnal that you've ever owned, more of the hymns contained in those hymnals are written by Fanny Crosby than by anybody else. Um, Fanny Crosby was blind. She was blinded from the age of six weeks because of a medical error. And one of the songs that Fanny Crosby wrote is a song that we used to sing a lot. We don't, hadn't seen in a while, but, um, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of... That one. She wrote it. Actually, she didn't write the tune. She wrote the words. But there is a line in that Blessed Assurance hymn that goes like this. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. That was written by a blind woman. Jonathan Edwards used to talk about having a a sense on the heart. No, I have not seen the God in whom I believe. But there is a vision of rapture that has burst on the the eyes of my heart. And I have a, a sense of the heart that it is real. And these things are so real to us, even though, like these folks, we haven't yet received them. (laughs) The promises that are made to us, we believe them, we see them, sort of, but we have no tangible fulfillment of those promises yet. And because we believe those things, we end up living our lives in such a way that our lives simply would not make sense if God does not exist. People of faith live a life that doesn't make any sense if God doesn't exist. And and let me say that the opposite is also true. The non-Christian lives a life 
that doesn't make any sense if God does exist. If you're here as a non-Christian, your life does not integrate with reality if God exists. You know, you you might remember the name um, Blase Pascal. You remember that name? Um, He was a 17th century French scientist, a mathematician, who, um, who viewed faith as a cosmic wager. He said um, that you face uncertainty either way you go. If you cast your lot with God and he uh, doesn't really exist, then, then you forfeit certain pleasures in this life and, and uh, certain selfish rewards. But then you die and you just disappear into nothingness. But um, on the other hand, if you choose against God... And he does exist, you face an eternity of regret. So for Pascal, after weighing the odds, he decided it was better to believe in something that isn't than to disbelieve in something that is. Did you get that? Let me put it like this. You who love tunica. May the fleas of a thousand camels nest in your armpits. But uh, uh, you who love tunica, if you're a gambling man and there is one chance in ten, you're, you're, you're playing with your soul over. But all I'm simply trying to suggest to you guys is it is faith that is the bottom line when it comes to life later. In terms of eternity, the thing that that transfers kingdoms for you is the exercise of faith. That is, the thing that takes you out of the kingdom of man and plants you in the kingdom of God is the exercise of faith and and faith in, in terms of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So faith is the bottom line in terms of Life later. But my whole series, guys, this fall has been not about life later. It's been about life now. This one. How we live it. And, and that's what I want to want you to focus on with me is life now. How are we going to live this one? Because I want you to notice that as this story of these people of faith begins with a definition of faith, it goes on to say more. It it, it suggests that these people of faith added to that initial exercise of faith. I want you to look in verse 6. These people, after having exercised that That initial commitment to this God, it says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. Um, They not only believed that God exists, they believed that God rewards He rewards a life that seeks him. Now, gang, real hurriedly, this may be be a new concept for some of you and perhaps confusing for others, but the Bible is full of it. This concept that God rewards a life that seeks him. Um, The Bible does avoid any, any notion of merit or achievement. Uh, it doesn't portray God as some kind of judge or employer, but it does portray him as a benevolent father who loves to lavish good gifts on his children who, who seek him. And, and just for the sake of clarity and simplicity, what I think we, are, we find in verse 6 is a, is a description of people who live their life with this conviction... 
that a life lived in seeking the living God was simply better than the other one. Um, whether there's a heaven or a hell, this one is simply better. That is a life that pursues or that is lived according to rules that God has given, according to a path of righteousness that he has laid out. That life is better. If I could just give you one very crude example. Gang, do you realize that the greatest health issues that America faces are all lifestyle related? For example, um, a man who has had multiple sex partners... Um, increases his wife's risk of cervical cancer by some 11 times. Guys, there's all kinds of illustrations that we could go over. All I'm simply saying is, these people, these people who lived heroic faith, were people who not only had a, 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 a commitment to the existence of Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary, they also believed... That God rewards a life lived according to righteous standards that God has established. They believe whether there was a heaven or a hell, this life is a better life. And, and I want to suggest to you guys that in a lot of ways, for us as Christians, this is where the battle rages in terms of how we live now. Because not only does God reward, the world rewards too. Um, the visible kingdom of man has a lot of rewards, a lot of attractions, and they oftentimes overwhelm rewards that we think are associated with a life of faith. But gang, I'm simply suggesting that the heroic faith that is on display in Hebrews 11 is one that after this initial commitment of faith in God, they went on to believe that God rewards a life that's lived according to righteous standards that he has established. For instance, let me, let me show you one. Look at verse 26, Moses. You know that name, Moses. Uh, we're talking about Moses in verse 26. It says, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Now, reconstruct that with me just existentially for a minute. What, 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 what happened to Moses? Well, here's what Moses had. He, uh, he believed in this God, but he, uh, he had this choice to make. You know, uh, I can stay in Pharaoh's court and I can enjoy all of the delicacies of uh, Pharaoh's court. Or I can choose this other life, which, uh, which, he, which is described as um, the reproach of Christ. Oh, I can go that direction. <laughs> Moses says, I, I believe that reproach of Christ one. I'm convinced that that's better than, than what Pharaoh can offer me. And so his whole life kind of hinged on what he thought about reward. You know, John Piper has an interesting book where he creates the term Christian hedonism. If you hadn't ever read the book, you might want to take a look at it. But he, he's taught, what, what is, the, the whole concept is that God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. That's what Christian hedonism is. God is most glorified when I find the most satisfaction in honoring him with my life. So guys, in, in a lot of ways, I think, the way we live our lives now hinges upon what you think about verse 6. Can and God and does God reward? And not only that, are his rewards 
better than Pharaoh's. Moses and the rest of his crowd that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, uh, they made a decision and went on to a, uh, to, to live a life of drastic, radical kingdom living. In essence, they're saying, I'd rather have this than that. Now, let me, let me uh, just try to probe a bit. Tell me, do your choices and decisions and your actions, do they reflect a value system of the kingdom of man or the kingdom of God? Which one is best reflected in choices and actions and decisions that you make? What do, what do they reflect? All right, how about this? Um, do you see much of this kind of life, Hebrews 11, do you see much of this in yourself and in the people around you? Neither do I. wonder why that is. Well, is it not fair to say that at least part of the reason is because we prefer, we prefer the rewards of Pharaoh over the rewards of God? Or at least we believe them to be more real than what God entrusts to his people. See, guys, I think there's a lot, a lot riding on verse 6 of Hebrews 11. I, I think that a life outside the Shire is riding on what you think about verse 6. And here's what I want to do with my remaining minutes. I want to give you, I hope, what, what I think are two lessons from, from these people's lives that will encourage us to move in this direction. Two, two, um, two reasons to change how I live or, or whose rewards I prefer. Two things that I hope will help um, all of us, including the, uh, the loud guy behind the podium. Two things I want you to notice about these people. First of all, look at verse 10. Here's, these are just lessons from their lives, too. Number one, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Now, guys, these people were headed out to a city with foundations. And the implication very clearly is that the other city or the other kingdom does not have any foundations. And you and I discover that every time we try to go build a life of substance over in that other kingdom. It's, it's like that parable that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7 about building your house on the rock and building your house on the sand. Guys, you and I are, are sometimes living in the, the, the rubble of a house that we tried to build on the sand. There is no foundation under it. You remember the little children's story about the big bad wolf and the three little pigs? And the three little pigs built their houses and, and uh, you know, one built out of straw and the big bad wolf came and huffed and puffed and blew the house down. And then one built out of mud, I think, and the big bad wolf came and huffed and puffed and blew that. And then the other guy, he built his house by bricks. He built a house on a foundation and it withstood. Abraham, uh, who is being described in verse 10, set out from that other kingdom going to a place that he didn't know where he was going because he was looking for a city that had foundations to it. Because he darn well knew for sure that the one that he was in didn't have any foundations to it. Now guys, here's... I'm convinced that every time you and I get close to that city with foundations, there's something in us that goes off. You know, uh, Paul will probably kill me, but if I could, I can't. But if I could lift this thing, and if I could sing into this a perfect B-flat, I can't, but if I could, if I could lift this and I could sing into this, whatever they call this, a perfect B-flat, 
There is a string in there. Did you know this? There is a string in there that would vibrate in response to what is coming out of my mouth. This perfect B flat. There's a string in there that would pick up my, my vibrations and resonate with the vibrations that are coming from me. What I'm simply saying, gang, is every time you and I get close to the city with foundations, and it begins, we, and we're close enough to its vibrations, there's something in us that goes off. There's something within us that resonates with that city that, that has foundations. You've tasted it. I know you have. We take a group of junior hires to St. Louis over the summertime, and we throw them in the inner city of St. Louis, and we, 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 we have them deal with inner city kids for a, for a week, and they're, they're in a basement that is unair conditioned and hot and dank and, and, and dingy, and, and at the end of the week... They're told, okay, it's time to go. Get on the bus. we got to go back to Germantown. And one of the little eighth graders begins to weep. I don't want to go back there. I want to stay here. Because, you see, I prefer the dark, dank, dingy, hot basement in St. Louis Center City to that posh, air-conditioned lifestyle that has no foundation to it. Don't make me go back there. Because every time we get close to that city, something inside of us vibrates. Take a group of men down to the Calvary Rescue Mission. They spend all Saturday re-roofing a dilapidated building. And they get through at the end of the day and they're all scratched up and sweaty and stinky and dirty. And they walk away from there saying, there's just something right about this. Guys, this is a people in Hebrews 11 that spend their lives headed towards a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God because they know that the one that they're in doesn't have any of those foundations. And every now and then they get close to that city with foundations and their little souls begin to vibrate. But I I, I need to tell you, folks, that taste of that better city is not going to be gotten inside the Shire. The vibrations don't vibrate inside the Shire. You have to put yourself out where the vibrations are. You know, kind of like Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who was not tall enough to see Jesus. And so he found out where his, what Jesus' path was. And so he went and climbed up a tree so that he could, he could be where Jesus was going to pass by. Gang, we got to do that. We got to put ourselves where Jesus is going to be. Where on earth is that? I don't know. But that is, I don't know for you. One thing I can tell you, every time you and I get close to it, we taste it, and we want more of it, don't we? Because we know the one that's underneath us now has no foundations. That's the first lesson from these people. There's one more. And I didn't read this verse because it was just too far down. It's verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Now, guys, in terms of ever leaving the Shire and living life substantially now, This has got to be factored into our whole view of life. I want to play something for you. Guys, I do this to be spectacular, okay? I do this to keep you awake. I do this so that you can go out and say, well, I do remember that. In fact, what you're about to hear for the next little less than two minutes, it'll probably be the only thing about my sermon that you'll remember. But at least you'll remember this much because I think there's a rich truth in it. 
Rich. He said I was in my early 40s With a lot of life before me And a moment came that stopped me on a dime I spent most of the next days Looking at the x-rays Talking about the auctions And talking about sweet time I asked him when it sank in That this might really be the real end How's it get you when you get that kind of news? Man, what you do? He said, I went skydiving I went Rocky Mountain climbing I went 2.7 seconds On a full name for That someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend wouldn't like to have. Sudden going fishing wasn't such an imposition, and I went three times that year. I lost my dad. Well, I, I finally read the good book, and I took a good long hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then You know, guys, I, I don't know who wrote the words to that. I know who sang it, so do you. But there is a rich truth in there that I think um, is very similar to what's being said in verse 16 of Hebrews 11. Did you notice in that song, surely you've heard that before. Um, I hope you've heard that before. But, but surely you know the, the, the lyrics of the song. Did you, if you didn't, let me, let me just point them out to you. Did, you. did you notice what he said? He said... Um, once he knew he was dying, he loved deeper, and he spoke sweeter, and he gave forgiveness that he'd been denying. Why? He became the husband that he knew that he ought to have been in the first place. I mean, being with his family was no longer an imposition. He even read the good book, for heaven's sakes. And he thought about eternity. Why? Because he knew he was dying. Isn't that a wonderful Christmassy thought? But I'm telling you guys, the heroes of this chapter are people who understood that this was just the dress rehearsal for eternity. And so they kept their eyes on a heavenly city. You know, the, the old saints used to keep a skull on their desk just to remind them that this was a very temporary existence because they wanted the ability to see life from the end. I, I, I want to tell you a quick story about Fyodor Dostoevsky. It's a true story. You might know Fyodor, a 19th century Russian novelist. Um, he wrote uh, Crime and Punishment, The Brothers Karamazov. He wrote The Gambler, The Idiot. That is, those are four books. Um, the Gambler and the Idiot is not the same, although it would be a, make a good book, I think. Um, <clears throat> the Gambler, Who's the Idiot? But, um, but anyway, uh, those are the books that he wrote. He's uh, famous. I, I hope you've heard the name. But um, early in his life, in his teenage years, he became uh, enamored with French utopian socialism. And so he attended a meeting with several of his friends that was raided by the uh, Russian government because the czar of Russia thought that this meeting was quite subversive. And so he was arrested and sentenced to eight years of hard labor. And while he was in jail, his sentence was changed to death 
by firing squad. So he and his buddies one day, um, one wintry day, are, are taken out of their cells, marched across a, cro- a, a courtyard, and uh, um, put up in front of a firing squad. The first three of them are taken to a stake, tied to the stake. Their hoods are lowered down but, uh, um, uh, from their eyes. And the priest goes to each one of them and gives them the opportunity to kiss the cross that he's carrying. After that, the hoods are relowered and the, the, the soldiers pick up their, uh, their rifles, aim, and, and Dostoevsky is watching knowing that he's going to be next. And um, I, frozen in suspense, as he waits for what seems to be a lifetime, the drums begin to beat and they're beating a retreat. The officer then reads the charges and commutes the sentence saying that they and he their lives would be spared. After that experience, Dostoevsky wrote um, to his brother. And uh, I want to read you what he wrote. When I look back on my past and I think how much time I wasted on nothing, how much time has been lost in futilities and errors and laziness, incapacity to live, How little I appreciated it. How many times I sinned against my heart and soul. Then my heart bleeds. Life is a gift. Nobody. Nobody ought to know that as well as we as Christians do. Gang. Our Eternity is secure. We are safe. And life is a gift. For the sake of the kingdom of God and your happiness, live it with a view towards, towards rewards that only God gives you. This year, this time last year, about this, almost exactly this time, but a family in our church um, gave birth to a little, beautiful little baby boy. Um... From the moment the baby was born, there were some huge physical issues. And um, the early weeks, it was thought that, that the baby will be fine with a few surgeries and then health continued to deteriorate. And, and um, it became pretty apparent that the baby was not going to live. And so the mother spent the next five months of her life at the side of her baby boy. and Five months later, he died, and I was privileged to do that funeral. Several weeks after that, the mother made a comment to me. And I, um, I've asked her if I could use this, by the way, and she told me I could. But she said, you know... I miss those days in the hospital. What? You miss days in an ICU with your son dying? You miss those days? What? I don't think she knows. I don't know. I'm sure I don't know. But I think part of it is, ladies and gentlemen, Part of it is that death has a way of focusing on that which is really valuable. It focuses us on that which is really like loving deeper and speaking sweeter and granting forgiveness that we've been denied to becoming husbands that we should have been all along to reading the good book and and giving thought to eternity and how you're going to spend it for God's sake.
You know, there's a line in that song that I play. It says, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. We got one. In crude terms of economics, ladies and gentlemen, a thing is worth just what somebody is willing to pay for it. For instance, if you've got a piece of real estate and you think it's worth 100000 but you can only sell it for sixty, it's only worth sixty. But I want you to go to the cross of Jesus Christ and find out how much you're worth. Jesus says, look at what I'm willing to pay for you. In light of that, come on, brother and sister in Christ. Let's go live life like we were dying. Father, I, I pray that the souls of your people will be aroused, not by my uh, illustrations, or because that won't last until they get to the car. But, oh, Holy Spirit of God, take what's been said and your word that has been read and, and how it was explained and bury it. Buried in the hearts of your people so that we can live life and not waste it. Father, we are, we are involved with so many meaningless things that won't matter a whit. So give us, O oh God, a new definition of beauty a new sense of what is valuable, a new understanding of the great gift that we possess. And then, O oh God, empower us by your Holy Spirit that we might not waste the precious gift that we have. We want to live it for the glory of the one who gave his life in our stead. Might his great sacrifice for us rapture our hearts and souls. We ask it for Jesus' sake.